to us. We're grateful for your prayers, support, and donations. We are able to continue our work of reaching many people with the gospel because of generous supporters such as you all. Thank you again, Sarah Wilkins, Director of Community Outreach. Uh, you can look at the bottom of upcoming events in the Northeast Fellowship. If any of those interest you, you can sign up for that or have somebody come along with you if you're interested in chatting with somebody else about any of those events. Um, Prater meeting will still be coming up February 14th, Valentine's Day. In case anybody needed a reminder, Valentine's Day, February 14th. It's coming right up. Um, Bible study at Glen and Tina's is still happening February 13th. And today is Super Bowl Sunday after the service, which means we have soup in bowls and sundaes, which is ice cream with lots of toppings also in bowls. And then later tonight is the actual Super Bowl. Uh, but this is better, honestly, than anything that's going to happen probably tonight. Any other announcements? If not, we will continue. Turn your hymn books to 507. Let him have his way with you. 507. Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 6. <coughs> this ties into 
one particular verse in the passage we'll be looking at today for the sermon. And so I wanted to take you here so you'd be familiar with this when we get to it at that point. But Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the <laughs> heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because of their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. <clears throat> Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Turn your hymn books to 477 channels only. Going to sing the first, third, and fourth verse. First, third, and fourth verse. How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy lovely hold of me. Saved and transcend me that I might thy channel be. Channels only, blessed Master, one with all thy wonders power. Flowing through us, sun issues us every day and every hour. 
Requests today. I have a prayer request. Um, if you could pray for me for Thursday, um, I meet with. Gonna need a Kleenex. <laughs> Just a minute for my nose drips. There we go. Um, anyways, I just meet with somebody on Thursday to um, talk to them about how to advocate for a liver. Uh, most of you know that I um, have liver cancer and I need a liver transplant. At this point, what they're suggesting is that I um, ask for a live donor, just because I'm not that sick yet, where if I'm waiting for a deceased donor, um, you know, chances it's harder recovery and whatever. Um, but I don't want to ask for a donor. It's really hard for me to, to do that. I don't want to involve anyone else. And I know, I know people are out there that are willing. It's just hard for me. So if you'll pray for that meeting, because I'm already in thinking, no, 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 I'm not doing it. So if you'll just pray about that, that I have the strength to follow through um, what needs to be done to get a, get a liver. And um, since I'm struggling, I know you're out there and you'll pray and support me, and that's what I need. So, Anyone else? Raise your hand, Little Elvis. She's had chronic ear problems for a long time. They've tried a lot of different things, but one of the challenges, even now, they want her blood work again. And Trying to get blood out of her. They went in the other day and they weren't able to do it, so she's going to have to go back again just so that they'd be able to get that test and determine what needs done next.
Anyone else? I'd like to request prayer for um, Zach Sandberg's grandmother who had heart surgery and then had a stroke while in the meantime. And she's recovering from that, but that's, I mean, she's in her 80s and it's very difficult to recover. She's been walking and talking some of her, you know, memory as far as what word to say, stuff that's kind of difficult. So she's still in the hospital. She had hoped to come home, go home a couple days ago. Keep her, her name is Sandy. Um, if you pray for Sandy, I'd appreciate that. And so would they. I'd appreciate the prayer for Doug Cochran. He was an old classmate of mine. Um, for those of you who go back a ways, the old Cochran farm was out on Route 20 and Avenue here. Um, I met with him when he was home for about a month this summer, and I haven't seen him since high school. Reminisced. He shared about uh, getting, coming to know Jesus. Um, and he's going through a hard time right now. He had had cancer, brain cancer, and they were able to stall it off. Well, it's come back and it's pretty much throughout his whole body now, in his bones. So I appreciate the prayer for him. Anybody else? Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, please look after Greg today as he gives our sermon to us and guides us in your word. We also want to pray for Anita this week. <clears throat> she meets with advocate for her liver transplant. Please give her peace and strength to follow through. Um, Please, we pray for Eloise also, as she's dealing with her ear problems and blood work. Please help the doctors and nurses be able to work through the procedure and get her blood work so that they can move forward and help her with healing. We'd like to pray for Zach's grandma, Sandy, for continued healing after surgery and after a stroke. Please be with the people that are around her to help her to heal and work through this and be able to come home soon. We'd also like to pray for Pray for Doug Cochran for comfort as he deals with his cancer that's returned. Please put your hands around him and hold him and, and, the, and the people that are close to him. Give them comfort as they go through this process. Please with all, be with all of us this week as we go about our week. Um, help us to continue to dive into your word and to expand on that. And keep all these people in your prayers as you're, as you're out in, in the community this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to stand and sing our worship songs. We're going to start with a song we sung here a long time ago called 10,000 Reasons. Say like never before, oh my 
those songs, we have the instruments playing. This is your time to shine. This one's a cappella in need. We just have to get our four notes. Do you know them?
Thank you that you are always there. Thank you that when we come to know you, you walk with us. You live in us. You give us strength and direction, wisdom for every day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the preaching of your word that we'll hear today. We thank you for the songs and the joy we have of singing them. Lord, we truly desire to give you our lives. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Those ages 4 to 7 dismissed to Junior Church. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we will be continuing on there. We got through verses 1 and 2 last week. Uh, my intention this week is to take you through verses 3 to 8 today in this letter from Paul to the Philippians. We'll start with a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to join together, to study your word, to draw the, the truths from it that are contained within it. Help me to speak clearly and concisely. Um, please bless this time. Help us to grow deeper in our love for you and for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Go ahead and read verses starting in chapter 1 of Philippians, reading verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, 
together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So this opening in Philippians is a rather standard opening for Paul's letters. If you do a quick survey of the different epistles that Paul wrote, you'll find many of them follow a very similar format. Um, but they are not all exactly the same. He did not have a form letter that he used, but he used a similar style. He often opened with that, that greeting, identifying himself, identifying the subject who is directed towards, and then he would often do this opening section of Thanksgiving, although it's not always universal that he would do that. If you were to look at the book of Galatians, you would see he doesn't, he leaves out the thank you portion. It's a brief introduction, qualifications, offers grace and peace, and then he gets right into his letter because Galatians is a letter of correction to that those believers. Whereas Philippians, this is a letter of encouragement to them. And so he opens it with these different things that he gives thanks to God for them in. And whereas maybe the church in Galatia, those believers are a source of frustration for him with some of the things that they are choosing to do, the church in Philippi rather, is a source of encouragement for Paul. And it's important as we continue in this letter, remembering the circumstances under which Paul's writing this letter. So Paul is in prison as he writes this. We, we pick that up throughout his letter in chapter 1, verse 13. He talks about, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. They're pointing to his imprisonment. Again, in verse 17, he talks about the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And lastly, in chapter 4, verse 22, he makes another mention of it. But you have this, this picture that he is... And chains says 422 says all the saints send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household so we have hints of where Paul is at at no point in this letter does he come right out and say I am at this place I am being held I've been here for this long and I'm suffering for all these reasons we don't know exactly which prison he's at the commonly held belief is that he is in Rome there's a few other theories out there, but they don't have any strong evidence to, to say, well, maybe he was in Caesarea or maybe he was in Ephesus. 
uh, the, the consensus is that he would be in Rome and he write this. And quite possibly, if you study through the book of Acts, when you get to the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, it details that he is in Rome for two years imprisonment and he is in, in house arrest there. And in some of the, one of the commentaries I was reading, it talked about how during Paul's house arrest, at one point there was a shakeup within the Roman government. And if you know the Roman government at all, shakeups were pretty common. It was, happened quite often. Or somebody would be killed and somebody else would be appointed to that position and they'd want to make a name for themselves. So they would increase the level of harshness. So at one point, Paul is moved from house arrest into the prison, which there's a significant difference between being in a Roman prison and being under house arrest. And you see in this letter that there are those who are treating Paul with a sense of envy and rivalry, like we saw, it's in Philippians 15 through 17. In 15, he says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. It's interesting to even think about somebody preaching the gospel, but they're doing out of envy or rivalry. For some reason, they dislike Paul, and in their preaching of the gospel, they are somehow going against Paul, and yet they are preaching the gospel at the same time. So he does not necessarily have a lot of friends at this time. But in the context of this letter, you'll find, as we get deeper into the letter, that the church in Philippi has sent a man named Epaphroditus with gifts of aid to Paul to help meet his needs while in prison. And this is the reason for this letter. He is writing this letter to be returned back with Epaphroditus, this letter of thanks to the church in Philippi. So that's his circumstances. And it's, you wouldn't pick up on that in this, this thank you portion. Paul's not doesn't start out by saying, I'm in prison, it's terrible, everything is horrible. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about those things. That is not his focus. His focus is not himself, it is not his, his own circumstances. It is on God. It is on what Christ has done for him. It is in how God is using this church in Philippi and how he sees that in them. So let's look at verse 3 here. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So we get this encouragement. The church in Philippi is a source of encouragement, joy, and thanksgiving to the Apostle Paul. That's not a common occurrence all the time. You know, we are, we are human. Sometimes we cause grief to those who are in charge of us. But in this circumstance, Philippi encourages Paul. They give him joy. Every time he remembers them, he thanks God. And this points to Paul recognizes that God is the source of all good things. That ultimately God is deserving of praise for the goodness that Paul experiences from the Philippians. He thanks God when he remembers them. And I was thinking upon this as thinking about Paul's missionary journey to Philippi and thinking, oh, what are some of the things he endured while he was there? And if you remember, he spent some time in prison while he was in Philippi. Not when you think of prison, you don't often think of 
fond memories and encouragement coming from that. Yet when you, you read through that, that account of when he is in prison, you find that ultimately the jailer and his household come to Christ as a result of Paul being in prison in Philippi. They have that earthquake, the cells are opened, the men can just walk free if they choose to, and yet they, they remain there. And it gives us opportunity for the jailer to see the power of Christ and ultimately leads this man to Christ. So the Paul's memories of and relationships with the believers in Philippi are a source of joy to Paul. And it's even interesting to think that Philippian jailer is quite likely a member of the church of Philippi. He is in that group of believers. So he has good memories. He has good relationships with them. These things give him encouragement to pray for them. Sometimes it's easier to pray for people that you know are experiencing difficult things, right? We can sit down, we can check off the boxes like they have this hard thing, they have this hard thing, I'm going to pray about all those. Not your friends that are, their life seems like it's going pretty well, right? Like, oh, what do I even pray for you about? You pray to God and thank God for them, the encouragement that they are, the good things they experience, and ultimately, you see, as you, you continue into what I intend to be next week's sermon, is this prayer for, for spiritual growth within people. And it's not to say that they are spiritual babies, but we, we desire to see people to become more Christ-like. And while you can, you can pray for their infirmities and their ailments, what we really desire is to see people to become more like Christ. Yes, we want people to be healthy and not to have to struggle, but their greatest need is to become more like Christ. <clears throat> so in spite of the difficult circumstances that Paul is in, he is taking the time to give thanks to God for the believers in Philippi. He opens this letter after that initial greeting with, I thank my God every time I remember you. He does not begin by saying, Things are hard here. Break me out of prison. Right? He doesn't even mention it. I thank God when I remember you. He continues in verse 4 and he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul's using his time in prison to be productive in prayer. While he's sitting there, he may not have much to do. Guaranteed he doesn't have much to do. He is using that time fruitfully. He is praying. So even from prison, Paul has joy because of how God has used the believers in Philippi to support him. All right, he gives that reason. He, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And you see... That joy is a reoccurring theme in this letter. This is, a, this is a great letter of encouragement, of showing us how to encourage one another. So the church in Philippi is a source of joy to the apostle, not a source of pain. He has fond memories of his time with them, and he's had much encouragement from them. I mentioned 
they sent Epaphroditus to him with support. Um, Roman prisons were not like our prisons we have today. They did not, you were not guaranteed three hot meals a day and a nice bed to sleep on and cable television. Partly, you needed people to help provide for your needs while you were there. Prison was not necessarily used as a punitive judgment system. It was you were held until trial, which was Paul's circumstance, or sometimes you were held until you died because that was what they wanted to do with you. It was lock you up and throw away the key. It was not necessarily intended to be, your sentence is 10 years in prison. That was not really how it worked then. It was you're being held or you're being held till you die. But in this time, Paul has these fond memories of them, of their support for him. And he reemphasizes here, he, in verse 4 there, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, again, reemphasizing that in verse 1, where he said, To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. He's pointing to this church as a whole, as a body. They are one unit. He's not singling out one person, like, you are really good, the rest of you not so much. He's saying, no, all of you. This body of believers is just a great encouragement to him. But you see the common denominator between Paul and the church of Philippi, where he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, it is, it is Christ that unites them. It is Christ that is the common ground. And even though they're separated by a large distance, Rome and Philippi are, are approximately 800 miles apart, a uh, couple months' journey at that time, they still have a common mission, which is the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has joy because he knows that their mission is the same as his. And beyond that, when he says their partnership in the gospel, it's not only that they are fellow believers, but they have been direct supporters of Paul's ministry to declare the gospel throughout the Roman world by means of their financial support. They have been actively involved in him doing that from the beginning. In Romans, not Romans, sorry, in Philippians chapter 4, Back in, in verse 15 there, he says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what, you may, what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's pointing out there even, he says Macedonia. Philippi is in Macedonia. Um, He's pointing out when, when he was on that mission there and going out, 
Nobody else sent him support but Philippi. The church in Philippi was instrumental to him from their inception. They have supported him all along. They have sent him gifts when no one else would. They have sent him gifts when they probably couldn't afford to. They have supported him. They have had partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So their gifts don't just meet Paul's physical needs, right? So they're sending monetary gifts to him to help support his physical needs. They're also, by doing that, they're helping to accomplish the mission of spreading the gospel. But they're also giving him great encouragement as he goes about this mission. If you know about Paul's missionary journeys and acts, quite often his... His modus operandi, the first thing he would do, would he would go to the synagogue, he would share the gospel there, and more often than not, they would kick him out and quite often try to kill him. That was typically how things went. And then he would give the gospel to the Gentiles. It could be a difficult mission field. It was not something that was easy. It was hard. And so... Having these gifts not only met his physical needs, but it also helped encourage him, also helped to give him joy in the midst of hard times. And this support when other churches were not giving him support, just a matter of great encouragement. He goes on in verse 6 and says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That continuation of verses 4 and 5 there. But this good work that Paul speaks of, that he refers to here, is salvation. That God will continue. He will complete their salvation and this is, this is a verse that like, should be well known. This is a commonly memorized verse amongst believers because it's a great verse of encouragement. It should give believers peace. You know, helps you to rest in your faith in Christ in those times when you maybe don't have the assurance, assurance that you wish you had you can look at this and remember, it is not me, it is God who completes this. So you do not have to work for your salvation. Right? It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You don't have to work for it. You will not receive your salvation as a result of your works. It is not because of what you have done. It is because of what Christ has done. Salvation is a result of the work that Christ already accomplished at the cross. The other thing we can draw from this that is when God begins the work of salvation in someone, he finishes it. That is who he is. He does what he says. And that's where I read that passage from Hebrews chapter 6, 
because that came into my mind whenever I was studying through this was, I was like, oh, Abraham in the covenant with God in Genesis 15. In that account, God tells Abraham, I am going to bless you. I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham is an old man who has no children. <laughs> Difficult place to be like, oh, okay. Like, I don't see how that's going to work. But then God makes a covenant with Abraham on that. And as you study the making of that covenant, God has Abraham kill the animals and lay them out. And then he puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And then the covenant is sealed by God alone. He puts all the responsibility of keeping that covenant on himself alone. It is not upon Abraham to keep that covenant. God says, I will accomplish this. This is, this is me. And that's what we read in, in Hebrews earlier. Hebrews 6 there. Verses 13 and 14 in particular referred to that. Where it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And then it, it, we know the rest of the story, right? It says, And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God swore by himself because he would be the one to fulfill that. It was, it was not Abraham. And it is the same picture with salvation. It is upon God to do that. It is not yours to earn. You cannot earn it. Which is, should be a great source of relief, quite honestly, because if it was on me to earn my salvation, I would screw it up. I, I just, it's not in me. I am a sinner. I would, I would mess it up. I couldn't do it. I am thankful that it is God who does it. I am thankful that he is the one who accomplishes it. It is not on me. And that is why Paul says in verse 6, being confident of this, right? He has confidence. He knows it. He is convinced that this will happen because of God. So Paul can have joy in his partnership with the church in Philippi, which he hasn't seen in a while, because he has full confidence that God will finish what he started with them. He is convinced that they are genuine believers. And part of his convincing here, I think, is this continual support that he receives from them, their dedication to the ministry of seeing the gospel spread throughout the, the world at that time, they are fully invested into that. He says, I see that. I see your dedication. You would not do this. You would not take on this cost if you were not, if you did not belong to Christ. And so then he can say, I am convinced that God will complete this salvation in you. Their continued support of Paul is the fruit of this being worked out in time. Because they belong to him, they bear this fruit of supporting this ministry, of ensuring that Paul is taken care of, 
of encouraging him, of providing him with great joy. In chapter 2, verse 13, Paul reiterates this, where he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. But this is an act of God. God is carrying this out. He provides that fruit. So you have here salvation is a work of God. It is a work of his grace. And that every, God, every work that God does is good because he is the definition of good. He cannot do bad things. It is not possible. He can only do good things. And so this is a source of relief for, for the believer. You know, Christians are not working for God's acceptance, but rather God is working for us and in us to make us more like Christ. You know, this should be a source of peace for the believer because you could never achieve God's acceptance on your own. It is not within you. It is not within me. I'm not just picking on you. <laughs> this is... I know it because that is me. But it is also a great source of peace knowing that, oh, I don't have to. I can rest in Christ. I know that he, has, he is working in me. And the interesting thing as I was thinking through this was, your salvation will no longer be necessary after the resurrection. Right? That's what he, that's what he says. He says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It will be complete. You can look forward to the day when you no longer struggle with sin. It will not be during this lifetime, but in the life to come. But you can look forward to that. Your sin nature will be gone. You will fully experience being in right relationship with God now. You are in right relationship with God now if you are in Christ, but you will experience the fullness of that when you enter into his presence. And that's a wonderful thing to think about as he's describing that and, and the peace that it brings to know that it is God who does this thing. I can trust in him. He says he will accomplish it, and I trust that he does what he says because we've seen that laid out so much in scripture before. He says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So when, they, when Paul uses the word heart here, it, it's pointing to the center of his thought, the center of his feeling, that it goes down deep. And Paul has strong feelings for them because of their mutual salvation in Christ. It's not that Paul 
It's like, I have a good feeling about you, so therefore you must be a believer. It's No, I, I all the evidence is there. Like, I see it. It's laid out. And it's right for me to feel that you are a believer because I have seen the fruit of it. And he feels it deep down. He has strong feelings in regards to that. That's, that's why he can write this letter in prison, suffering, and have so much joy in the midst of it, and, and have so much thankfulness in the midst of that. You know, Paul and the Philippians are both partakers in the same grace. They both experience that same goodness of salvation in Jesus Christ, of having him take away the weight of sin. They have that thing in common. Another way to reword this, one of the commentaries I was reading said, the evidence is so clear that it would be wrong for Paul to doubt their future. Everything is laid out so clearly for him that if he was still in doubt, it would be wrong. He doesn't have a reason to doubt it. See that the church in Philippi is consistently partnered with and supported him no matter his circumstances. Like we read earlier, they were the only church was that church in Macedonia supported him when everybody else didn't as he went on that journey. Here in Rome, they've sent him gifts even as a prisoner. So they send him support in prison even when his opportunities to share the gospel are diminished. There's not any street preaching going on with Paul here. He has a prison ministry. You'll find that as we study this letter more, that he's, he's like, I've got opportunities to share the gospel. I've got a, I got a guard chained to me. Guess what? He's hearing all day long, right? He, he finds opportunities everywhere he goes, no matter where, where he's at. He has opportunities to share the gospel. His ministry does not look the same as it did when he was traveling. It is different, but he's still taking those opportunities. So they could, they could easily say, like, well, he's no longer on the mission field in the way he is. He really doesn't need the same level of support. We could, we could direct these funds to someone else, but they're still they're dedicated to him, and they are, they are supporting him no matter what. And he says in verse 8, God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. As some of the, I think it's the ESV said, for God is my witness. Right? God can testify. This is, this thing is true. And the word for affection that he uses here literally means intestines or internal organs. Indicating this is a deep love. It is from the core of his being. This, the affection of Christ Jesus is, this is from deep down. So not only did Paul have a personal relationship with the church in Philippi, but there's an intimate bond between these believers that can only come from the unity of being in Christ. There is a fellowship that you have amongst other believers that you only have with them because you share Christ in common. My wife and I can tell the story. We went on our honeymoon to, you know, 
Dominican Republic, this beautiful tropical place. We're just kind of doing our thing. And we meet a guy there who is a follower of Christ. And it's like immediately like, huh, a friend. I know nothing about you other than you worship the same Savior I do. And immediately we are friends. Everybody else here, I, I don't know anything about them. And I honestly don't know anything about you other than that you love Jesus. And I instantly feel a kinship with you, right? This unity of being in Christ. He feels that deep down. So you see in this passage, just these, these couple of verses, you see the joy of Paul, even in the midst of great tribulation. He's, he points to his joy he points to how he is seeing fruit within these, this body of believers and how that encourages him. And remembering Paul's circumstances, I think, adds even more weight to this. Right? Paul's in prison, and yet he takes time to express his deep gratitude for the believers at Philippi. Right? Like I said before, Roman prisons were not a joyful place to be in. It was not easy. It's not intended to be a place where you live out a punishment. There's, they didn't have rules about like, well, you've got to treat them nicely. And they didn't have those things. They didn't have our modern way of looking at the world we have now. It was difficult. And we know Paul's in prison when he writes this letter, but we don't have many details of this imprisonment, like I said. There's disagreement. Is, is Paul in prison in Rome? Is he in prison in Ephesus or, or Caesarea? They, they don't know with absolute certainty. And why don't we know those things? Because Paul doesn't tell us. In his letters, he does not dwell on his circumstances. He doesn't give you all that information because it's not relevant. Yes, he's in prison. He gives enough information you can gather that. But his circumstances are not his focus. Right? It's a good reminder for us as we go about our day-to-day -day and we talk with other people. Can you say that about yourself? Right? Is your circumstances the most important thing that's going on? Or are you... Can you point people to Christ? Maybe even you can say, I'm going through some really difficult stuff, but in the midst of that, Christ is my hope. That's what Paul's doing here. And he doesn't even talk about the difficult stuff in this opening. <laughs> I'm thankful for you. You guys are great. I see God working in you, and I appreciate that. Paul used his time while he's in prison to be productive in prayer. That's what he's talking about in this opening is all my prayers for you. I pray about you all the time, right? Maybe you're physically limited in some way. Maybe age or sickness prevents you from being mobile. Maybe, maybe you're on Facebook right now watching this because you can't be here in church, right? But you can still have an active part in what God is accomplishing through prayer. God has provided that. Maybe your, your ability to go visit and to do physical means of serving God. Maybe those days are over, and yet you still have 
the ability to pray, and you should use that. You can be productive in prayer, and we see that from Paul here. Another thing that we see is that the money that you give to support missions is vital. It is noticed and it is necessary. That's where Paul talks about, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He had that support from them, which helped him accomplish his goal as missionary without having to worry about how am I going to eat my next meal. At the same time, Paul was still willing, if I have to make tents and sell them to get by, I will do that because I am dedicated to this mission. But if you bless him by helping to provide for him, he can work on that mission even harder. So the gifts that we give to support missionaries are valuable. And we may think like, well, I can't afford to give much. Well, if a bunch of people who can't afford to give much give, it becomes much. It is used. It is beneficial. It is a great encouragement. You'll probably notice in your Sunday school rooms that we've got different missionaries in each of them. We can thank Cheryl for taking the time to put that together. We're trying to encourage us to get to know our missionaries better, to, to pray for them more, to, to support them, um, to just know them. You know, we give regularly to our missionaries. That has worked into our budget. But as a church, it is good to know our missionaries. Well, it, it, I would be so encouraged if when a missionary that we support comes and visits, everybody can just go up to them and it's like, hey, this is like my brother I haven't seen in uh, the last two years. Right? We, often they come and we don't know them that well. They, they give us information. We should, we should work to get to know them well and to be praying for them and for their needs and supporting them. We can have confidence that God will finish what he has started. That's Paul lays this out here in verse 6, right? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, you can rest assured that God will accomplish your salvation. You cannot do it on your own. And that should give you great peace. You should have a, have a, not be carrying around a, a weight of trying to do, 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 and worrying about whether or not you're going to be good enough. Christ is good enough. He has accomplished it. And lastly, what is true Christian fellowship? Unity amongst believers. That's really... I think one of the things Paul is pointing to here is his unity with this church in Philippi, that they are of a similar mindset. Paul probably hasn't been to Philippi in years when he's writing this letter. We don't know exactly how long, but he hasn't been able to visit them. His travel was not the same then as it is now. And yet, he has this feeling of great unity with them. They are of one mind in Christ, right? So unity is real relationships. It is not just coming and sitting in a pew together Sunday morning. And it's not even just as simple as sharing a meal together while sharing a meal is a great thing. But it's really getting to know one another and growing to love one another and having genuine affection for one another. It is 
becoming part of each other's lives on more than just, just Sunday mornings. Um, we have a fellowship meal after this, right? <laughs> and that is a great thing. It's wonderful. We're going to eat some delicious soups. But it's also an excellent opportunity to spend time getting to know the other people that we share faith in Christ with, getting to know each other, getting to know each other's needs, and just sharing in our love for Christ. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to study your word. Thank you for the truths that are in it. Help us to rest in, in Christ and what he has accomplished. And help us to grow, to love each other better. I know I can definitely work on that myself. Help me to have that desire to get to know people better. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymnals to 493. Sing the song, I'll Live for Him. We can stand and sing together. <clears throat> my life, my love, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, my Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me, how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. I now believe thou dost receive, for thou hast died that I might live. And now henceforth I'll trust in Thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for Him who died for me, how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for Him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Oh, Thou who died on Calvary To save my soul and make me free I'll consecrate my life to Thee My Savior and my God I'll live for Him who died for me How happy then my life shall be I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Gracious Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're grateful for your scriptures, your word that teach us how much you love us. Teach us the price you paid that we might come into a relationship with you. And then the realization that you continue to work in that to bring it to completion, knowing full well that we would not be able to work it. We would not be able to make it. 
you continue to work to bring us through to the end. We look forward to a day when we'll see you, but Lord, we have many that we still pray for and desire to come to know you. We're grateful for the fellowship we have, for the joy we have in knowing you and knowing other believers and just being excited, praising you for the work you're doing in our life. So Lord, as we leave today, as we go back and have fellowship together over soups and Sundays, and as we spend time, extra time, just getting to know each other, help us, Lord, to ever be more joyful, praising you for the family you've put us in. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed to a meal. <laughs>